0: (音楽) ¶¶ Hey, Lantern Cast family! I'm Chad Bokelman, and welcome to episode number twelve of the Lantern Cast presents Green Lantern Green Arrow. That's right, back at it again. Uh, I am talking about this series, Green Lantern Green Arrow. We're talking issue number eighty-three. Now, as with the prior issue of this series and the upcoming issue. Um, and including this one, all three of these issues are more broad in terms of their social commentary, social context, uh, with which um, Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams are sort of approaching these various uh, things um, uh, that are happening in 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 and around their time frame. Now, because last issue, this issue, and to a slightly lesser extent, the upcoming issue are so broad in terms of their uh, social context, I don't think there's going to be much for us to chew on here outside of the issues themselves. I'm going to give it all my all and try and give you as much information as I can, but in terms of pointing out something super specific socially, I'm not going to have much for you. This issue, uh, Green Lantern, Green Arrow number 83, or Green Lantern 83, uh, entitled, And a Child Shall Destroy Them, is the issue that features uh, a character that looks like Nixon and a character that looks kind of like Spiro Agnew. Um, This is actually before the Watergate scandal, so you know that this is not involving something specific like Watergate. So... I kind of poked around and tried to find something and really couldn't. So, But before we really get into that, I just wanted to make certain you knew that we're not going to be diving into too many specifics socially with this issue. But I'll go ahead and start the the recap. Before I do so, though, I wanted to let you know that uh, Green Lantern number 83... Has a cover date of April, May 1971, but thanks to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics, its uh, approximate on-sale date was uh, February 23rd of 1971. Had a cover price of 15 cents. Uh, Writer Denny O'Neill, penciler Neil Adams, and inker Dick Giordano. Now, the um, cover features... Hal Jordan and uh, Oliver Queen as their superhero guys. The big creepy shadow on them as a character looks a lot like Spiro Agnew uh, says, Never again will superheroes interfere with our orderly world. Destroy them. And then Hal's screaming, We can't fight that. We're finished. And again, the title, A Child Shall Destroy Them. Now, opening up, we see a, uh, a young... Uh, Dark haired woman running into an old man by accident, bumping into him as he's uh, with a little girl. And she says, uh, he he says, she's a mean one, Sybil, mean and evil. Can you do something to her? And uh, the little girl says, yes, Grandy, I can make her sorry. And her eyes light up and the woman doubles over in pain and collapses to the ground. That was then. And this is now. A car comes roaming into town, and we see how Ollie, and Dinah show up to the uh, uh, sh- show up to a Meadow Hill school. And she says, "I guess I can't make uh, you understand. These past few months, I felt so useless. I need to do something, and what can be more useful than working with children?" So she's arrived to help the children and you know be a teacher. Well, Dinah knows something is up. She sees the birds. Uh, swarming overhead, and they swarm and then dive straight towards um, Hal, Ollie, and Dinah. Ollie gets a arrow, knocks it, and pulls it back, and the arrowhead in this particular case is filled with a subsonic noisemaker, and it distracts the birds. And then the birds, who all landed on a branch, collapses said branch it starts falling down on them when Hal reaches out with his ring and saves the day with that then Hal rings a bubble around all the birds and sends them off in the opposite direction then as ollie remarks the attack of the birds reminds him of a hitchcock movie which is interesting we'll get back to that in a second um dinah knocks on the door to the school right then a the uh, the owner of Meadowhill School, his name is Jason Belmore, walks down the stairs, notices that he, Dinah is uh, associating with Hal and Ollie as Green Lantern and Green Arrow, and is disproving of that. Um, they walk off, and um, Grandy grabs Sybil, who has, is there, They're, they greeted Dinah at the door, uh, and then points to Hal and Ollie saying, you know, make them sorry. Just like you did at the beginning of the story. As they head back to the car, towards the car, we see Hal come upon Carol Ferris. Carol Ferris is in a wheelchair. She's telling him the story as they all load up into the car. About four weeks ago, she had a seizure. The pain was hideous and she couldn't walk anymore. She's been seeing the finest specialists in the world and they're all baffled. She says, My fiancé, Jason Belmore, is in trouble. Ever since he took over the school, he's been changed. Right then, the wheel comes off, and the car starts collapsing into a bunch of different pieces and drives off of a cliff. Hal then saves himself, Ollie, Carol, and Carol's wheelchair with a construct Pegasus as the car collapses down into the canyon below. Hal then recharges his ring, and as they fly, it started raining. So they find a place to lay low and stay dry, as Hal admits to Carol that things have been very different with him lately, and that he's not as confident as young as cocky as he once was. He says, "I have changed, I'm older now, maybe wiser too. Yeah, maybe wiser, and a lot less happy." Back over to the school, we see Dinah uh teaching her class and then remarking to herself. In internally how well behaved the children are um then grandy comes up onto uh Dinah and says you've dismissed your charges before three o'clock she let her children go a little bit early he says you've been naughty and she says i thought you were the cook i didn't know you had been promoted and he says i'm more than a kitchen person miss lance very much more as you'll learn don't make any plans for tonight you see we'll have to punish you Dinah goes back to her quarters, changes into the Black Canary, and comes out and is caught by Grandy, Sybil, and Jason. Jason attacks her, she flips, and then Sybil attacks Dinah with her psychic abilities and collapses over in pain and passes out. As she passes out, Grandy grabs the wig off of her, revealing her identity as Dinah Lance. Grandy commands the kids to drag Dinah off downstairs into the basement as he's yelling at her. He says, uh, she's asking, who are you? What hold do you have over the children and the staff? Why is Jason so terrified? He says, who am I? Let me think. You can say I'm a person who wants order. I despise messiness and nothing is so disordered as the average school for years, I couldn't change the situation here until I found Sybil wandering alone through the woods. I took her in, cared for her. She's a great. She's grateful, devoted to me. She's talented, Sybil is. She can control things and people with her mind. Birds, branches, bricks, and especially other children. Oh, she's a wonder, is my darling Sybil. Of course, some might say she's a witch, but to old Grandy, she's a darling little wonder. And Dinah says, you plan to kill me? And he says old granny doesn't kill i simply do my duty punish those who can't respect order you may die but that won't be my fault as he jostles a giant nest of uh of hornets and wasps and shuts the door to the basement allowing dinah to be stung over and over and over again hal and ollie arrive back at the school just as jason says thank god you've returned miss lance they've done something horrible he guides them down to the cellar as they're walking past, Grandy and the children, he commands the children to start throwing stuff at Lantern and um, and Green Arrow, and then commands Sybil to take them down as well, which she does with again using her psychic ability. Ollie overcomes this uh, with a with a light kind of a light show arrow. That distracts Sybil and Grandy long enough for Hal and Ollie to get their wits, head down to the cellar and rescue Dinah, sending the bees off, the bees, wasps, hornets off. Grandy and Sybil confront Hal Jordan again, and as he's commanding, as Grandy is commanding Sybil to make them sorry, she speaks up and says, I hurt Grandy. You asked me to do things that hurt. Break, push, shove. That's all you say. I don't want to. I want to be like other children. He says, I'll teach you to question your elders. You little mutant, you'll obey, hear me? I said, make him sorry. And she says, I'll obey, Grandy. And she collapses the entire school with them still inside. Hal and Ollie manage to rescue the children and Jason and Dinah, getting them getting them all out to safety. As Ollie asks, "How could you have saved them, Grandy and Sybil and houses?" I'll live with that question for the rest of my life. Now, excuse me. And then he goes off to talk to Carol. He says, "I've got a lot to say, and I'm not so. I've got a lot to say, and I'm not much good at speeches, so please don't interrupt." When I saw a little while ago the strength of Green Arrow's love for Dinah, I realized that I've been denying myself that sort of strength because I was proud, because I insisted on my own terms. Because I demanded you accept me, not as the dashing Green Lantern, but as, and removes his mask, as plain Hal Jordan. Carol says, somehow I'm not surprised, Green Hal. I was pretty proud of myself. I couldn't admit the man I loved could be ever be anything less than splendid, heroic. But I guess I must have realized that Green Lantern and Hal were one and the same wonderful man can you forgive rich naughty silly me he says we've both been dumb carol maybe both needed humbling miss carol ferris i love you she says i'm glad Hal As he gathers up at her up into his arms from the wheelchair and they both go walking off into the rain and we see a pair of child's feet standing in the background and that ends this issue oh um Quite honestly, not too proud of that recap, just because I find it so hard to relate to it, because, you know, Sybil and Grandy, um, Nixon and Agnew, I don't know much about Nixon and Agnew, um, first, first and foremost, like I said, Watergate was mid-1972, and this issue came out February 23rd in 1971. So we're a little too early for this to be referencing anything with regards to Watergate. And it turns out, in terms of trying to find uh, something specifically related to Agnew in uh, early 1971 slash late 1970. And the reason I was looking at late 1970 is because even though this Issue may have gone on sale February 23rd in 1971. You always have to allow a few months of kind of lead time to make sure that, um, you know, they, you know, to try and account for when the story would have been scripted. Um, but either way, it's too early for, for, um, for Watergate. Now, in terms of this particular issue, as, Social commentary relates I couldn't find anything specific As I've mentioned But I did find several things That I can kind of read verbatim And I know that doesn't help But it's something First and foremost A small paragraph From a book called Super Black American Pop Culture And Black Superheroes So There's a paragraph here and it says Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams, Green Lantern co-star and Green Arrow, comic book series dramatically recast superheroes and shaped the superhero comic book as a space where acute social issues were engaged. On one hand, Green Lantern embodied President Richard Nixon's no-nonsense dictum of law and order, and the f- in the face of race riots and student protests. On the other hand, Green Arrow was the symbolic representative of activist youth, the working class, and the oppressed. Now, that wasn't referencing this issue in particular, but it did make a connection between Green Lantern and Nixon. Now, whether that is founded or not, that's up to the reader, I guess, at the time, and if you know enough about history in the future to uh, make that call yourself. But over on a blog, I found some more information. It says, uh, in in reference to Issue 83, it says we're back in the world of satire for Issue 83 as Black Canary is about to take on a teaching job. But strange things are happening at Meadow Hill School. A little girl called Sybil is a telepath and is being forced into brainwashing the other students by the school's cook, Grandy. The fact that Sybil looks like Richard Nixon and Grandy is the spitting image of Vice President Spiro Agnew lets you in into the gag. Alas, I don't know enough about American politics of the 1970s to say for sure. Neither do I. But obviously the school, again, represents America in microcosm and Grandy and Sybil its unscrupulous controlling government. There's also a nice personal touch where GL's longtime love interest Carol Ferris reappears, forcing him to reappraise his life. The subplot actually is more interesting than the main story. That last sentence kind of sums it up. A subplot more interesting than the main story. Um, now, there is one other more solid, more concrete, more reliable source I want to get to in reference to the Nixon-Agnew aspects of the story. But before I do that, I did want to bring up one thing. The Comics Code. in uh, the Comics Code was established, I've said it tons of times in every episode, is adapted on October 26th of 1954. Now, the very first um, rewriting, reimagining of the Comics Code was was updated on January 28th of 1971. That is a month before this issue hits stands. Now, in terms of what I'm about to read... It's possible that Denny O'Neill scripted and Neil Adams penciled this issue before the changes were made, and it was too late to do anything. It was already approved. I don't know how long the process. I don't know the pro the steps. So obviously, this the story would have to be scripted. Denny O'Neill uh, scripts it, sends it off to Neil Adams. Neil Adams uh, pencils it, and then it goes for to DC for finalization. And then they I guess they submit it to the code for approval. I don't know how lo, how much of that takes place before publishing is it a, is it already approved and ready to go a solid month before it hits the stands two months i don't know uh and if the code was revised is everything in the pipeline that's already been proved by the old standards does it need to be reapproved before it hits the stands a week or two later i again i don't know so it's a complete up in the air but with regards to the code issues i'm going to bring up There is really no change in definition from the 1971 updated uh, code to from the 1954. So two sections of the Comics Code. General Standards Part A, Section 1. Crimes shall never be presented in such a way as to create sympathy for the criminal, to promote distrust of the forces of law and justice, or to inspire others with a desire to imitate criminals. A lot of that inapplicable here. However, the uh, portion of this line saying to promote distrust of the forces of law and justice absolutely applies to this if we're going with a straight characterization of Nixon and Agnew. With regards to that, Section 3, Policemen, judges, government officials, and respected institutions shall never be presented in such a way as to create disrespect for established authority. Now, if that one section of Section 1 didn't give you the hint, this whole solid Section 3 of Part A, General Standards, is absolutely applicable again reading it again policemen judges government officials and respected institutions shall never be presented in such a way as to create disrespect for established authority now if sybil is nixon and grandy is agnew i would say that it's being cast in such a light that you have a little bit of sympathy For Sybil, So I'm wondering, I'm guessing, we're supposed to have a little bit of sympathy for Nixon. Again, I don't know the context or the specific maybe news article or what was sort of in the pipeline at the time that maybe Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams are referencing here. However, it's very, very, very in your face that you're not supposed to trust Grandy slash Agnew. A vice president is a government official and a quote unquote respected institution. So, where do you go from there? Exactly. All right, so moving on, I got one more thing to cover in regards to Nixon and Agnew specifically. I have in my hand a magazine called Back Issue, and I'm looking at issue number 45 from December of 2010. Seven years ago. Yes, I still have this. I did know one day I'd be doing this show. (laughs) So in this, there's a, uh, the the issue actually, main spotlight is Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams' Green Lantern and Green Arrow. Now, there are portions of this that break it down by issue. And one of those breakdowns is of this very issue. So if you do not mind, if it's okay with you, I'm going to read straight from this article in back issue magazine number 45 and again this particular um this particular article is is written by uh, john wells and it says and the title of this article is and through them chains in industry and i'm only reading the portion at that relates specifically to green lantern green arrow number 83 the title of the section is taking on nixon and agnew And a child shall destroy them was an improvement. Hal and Ollie followed Dinah to her new teaching job at a private school only to discover that its student body was at the mercy of a control freak named Grandy. Manipulating a mutant girl named Sybil, the madman directed her considerable power toward maintaining order and striking down anyone he perceived as an enemy. The gag here was that the subservient Sybil had the features of President Nixon. And Grandy was a dead ringer for Vice President Spiro Agnew, who'd recently put parental permissiveness at the root of campus unrest and asserted that kids needed, quote, sensible authority to rein them in. Pulling no punches in a 2010 interview, Adams declares Agnew was a dingbat who used the power of the president to beat up on the press and make a very successful smokescreen for the crap, pardon the expression, that Nixon and his cohorts were left free to perpetuate. On a personal note, I believe Agnew encouraged Nixon far more than he would have been because, for the most part, Nixon was an honorable man. Right up to Spiro Agnew's running interference for him. Denny was after Agnew in the book by having him use the little girl's power. I extended that to going... After Nixon as the character that held the power that he wielded. He sure made an ugly little girl. And then Denny O'Neill has no argument. I think that Nixon and his cohort were national disasters, he opines in 2010. And might have been the reason and might have been the reasons that decent smart kids were no longer attracted to politics, though I'm not sure they ever were. Don't get me started. The story brought down the wrath of publicity-craving former Florida governor Claude R. Kirk, who'd been been succeeded in office barely a month earlier and was already campaigning to regain his old job. Apprised of the comic's existence, Kirk fired off an incendiary letter to D.C. Neil Adams recalled in the Jack Kirby Collector number 17 from 1977 that it said how offended they were were that the vice president was so maligned in the comic book and that if DC comics were to ever do such a thing again, he would see to it personally that DC comics were not distributed in the state of Florida. What's interesting about that. What's interesting is that he never noticed that the girl in the comics was based on Richard Nixon. Truth is Adams adds the Kinney executives had no idea we were doing it until after we did. In fact, almost everything we did came as a surprise surprise to everybody. Less controversially, the story also saw Green Lantern's long-absent girlfriend, Carol Ferris, return to the series in a wheelchair after getting on Grandy and Sybil's bad side. In years past, they'd kept each other at arm's length through Carol's attraction to the glamorous hero and Hal's insistence that he first win her love in his civilian identity. For an icon like Superman, such an eternal triangle was involuble. But Green Lantern was learning there were no rules that couldn't be broken. Moved by Ollie and Diana's own love affair, and contemplative in the story's final pages, GL realized that he'd been a fool, removed his masks and removed his mask, and told Carol that he loved her. So there you have it. <clears throat> I do love the quote from from uh neil neil adams saying in fact almost everything we did came as a surprise to everybody (laughs) now obviously this presides a little bit more specific context in terms of um agnew's relationship with the education system and parents and their permissiveness uh i still didn't find anything very specific but i feel like if I dug into it anymore, it would, um, f- quite honestly go over my head. <laughs> I don't know much about Nixon, I don't know much about Agnew, and I don't mu- know much about the uh, political landscape of the early 70s and late 60s, and I don't know much about uh, any of that stuff, um, in terms of trying to track down specific information, um, uh, whether that be speeches, public addresses, um, or any sort of legislation that might have been tried to be uh, passed via Nixon and or Agnew. Um, moving on, I did want to make sure I covered Green Lantern's mail shoot. This is the letters column printed in this issue. Now, there are three letters here, and I just wanted to make sure I read these, because these provide in-time, in real-time context and uh, feedback from people who are experiencing this series as it comes out. Now, this particular um, time, I'm actually not, I'm kind of jumping ahead. What I did was I printed out the letter column for uh, for a future issue. In this case, I'm printing off the letter column that refers to this issue we just covered so you know as we're going exactly what we're talking about. Now I'm going to be doing this from now on instead of covering you know a letter column from a prior issue that we've already talked about I'm going to jump ahead print off the letter column that refers to the issue we're covering in a particular episode so I can get that real-time information as we go. So this latter column firstly says, Dear Editor, I cannot praise too highly the work of Neil Adams, Dick Giordano, and Denny O'Neill in these past months, of the new, now, Green Lantern. In the ter- if the term Golden Age can be properly applied to any period of time in comics history, it, has to th- it is to these months and these men. Green Lantern 83 was the crowning masterpiece Humor, allegory, sex, mind-boggling visuals, not to mention the heart-pounding, churning excitement of the climax, where the wasps, wasps, are attacking green, are attacking Black Canary, and the silent children are attacking Green Lantern and Green Arrow, the little touches, Hitchcock's cameo, the Agnew Resemblance of Grandy, for example, as well as the more major strokes, a successful and intelligent integration of the old Carol Ferris plot thread into the new pick storyline, all add up to art on a grand scale. I'm not generally moved to writing letters to comics magazines. Pretentious way of putting it, huh? Though I've been reading and collecting comics for 17 years or so. I'm 22, you see, a grad student at the University of Iowa in the writer's workshop there. And as a writer of crime fiction, I'm a defender of so-called pop art against the hordes of condescending snobs. This is, in fact, my first letter to a comic book. There, I've said it. And I'm writing it out of fear. Fear, because the last panel of 83, with its the end, question mark, fills me with fear of losing Green Lantern, with the numbing fear that 83 was a gutsy swan song. Al Collins, Muscatine, Iowa. And... Uh, Julie Schwartz responds, Have no fear, Al. GL85 is here, and that's the straight dope. The end bit that activated your fear juices were merely a symbolic reference to the questionable end of young Sybil, which may possibly be resolved in a future issue. Now, this references Green Lantern number 85. That's where I pulled this letter column from. Now, the second thing I wanted to mention is that this is a letter written by Al Collins from Muscatine, Iowa. Al Collins is Max Allen Collins, future writer for DC Comics. Um, so, just thought I'd throw that out there. Um, they do mention a Hitchcock appearance. Uh, and I said we'd be getting back to this later. In the issue... After the birds attack, and Hal and uh, Dinah and Ollie are walking up the steps to the school, you see a mailman putting mail in a box. That mailman is drawn to look exactly like Alfred Hitchcock. That's what they're referring to. Uh, Next letter. Dear Editor, in A Child Shall Destroy Them seemed like something from an Alfred Hitchcock movie. First was the birds first was the birds, a direct steal, then the encounter with Grandy and the following slightly ironic happenings thereon. The story excelled not only in plot but also in suspense, adventure, and drama. One incident overlapped into another, gathering suspense and momentum like a rolling snowball. More important though is the way in which Denny O'Neill managed to have so much adventure and still leave room for drama, that is GL and GA trying to work out their personal problems. In doing so, they, through O'Neill, are answering or at least attempting to answer many of life's perplexing questions. As As an obvious example, take notice of GL's comment on wisdom in relation to happiness. Page nine, fourth panel. One of the story's best matches was the surprise, pleasure, nostalgia of seeing Carol Ferris again. Her reappearance was timed so beautifully, appearing during the period of GL's life when he is questioning himself becoming wiser and more aware of himself. A perfect time for GL and Carol to see each other in a new light. I was so relieved to see the story end happily for them this time instead of in the familiar, heartbreaking manner. I was surprised to see much editorialism and symbolism in this story. I'm not saying this is bad by any means, merely that it's never been done so well before, especially in comics. My most sincere congratulations to the editor and GL staff. Overall, I find the new Green Lantern magazine to be the most most extraordinary piece of wit and wisdom that DC and all of comicdom, for that matter, has ever contributed. It is the one comic that really communicates. Gary Coleman, Owen, Iowa. And Julie Schwartz responds, And one of our really, really great communicators is that Roman numeral guy from out California way who is about to have his say. Dear Editor, I read one of the recent Green Lanterns I... Dear Editor, whenever I read one of the recent Green Lanterns, I am filled with a renewed faith that all may yet be okay. This feeling is hardly one of the cop-out. Because the Super Team Supreme of Denny O'Neill Adams is hardly one which holds any comfort for those who think that the powerful in this world are the best in this world that their belief can so brilliant that their belief can be so brilliantly presented and by such an established institution as the american comic magazine is justification enough for my optimism most recent of their collaborations was and a child shall destroy them in the 83rd issue It wasn't the best of the GLGA stories, but it made its point and its additional satirical point with a plum and deserves the silent applause of a right on from all. There's quite a reaction underway in comics fandom publications to the radicalization of Green Lantern. In science fiction fandom, such objections, drama being substituted for adventure, is given the epithetical name of The Old Wave. The realism, worldly and psychological, such as GLGA has been propounding, is given the likewise silly title of the New Wave. I'm not a hydrophobe so neither type of story I'm not a hydrophobe so neither type of story bothers me. I can read an adventure story and enjoy it readily. I can also read a story with cojones commenting on the world, commenting on its characters, and filling the pages with challenge and meaning and enjoy that. My opinion in the present case, that is, GL, is much better off surfing over that new wave, leading comics to a greater maturity in literacy than they have ever previously attained. Also new standards of guts. O'Neill's political feelings may not match yours, they sure come very bloody close to mine, but that he can present them in Green Lantern in so brilliant, again, I use that word, a fashion, is a credit to the industry and its editor. O'Neill has a superb sense of evil in the world and in his craft and conveys it splendidly before i let my rambling pull this letter to shreds repeated congratulations for a great story in a great comic mag guy Lillian the third berkeley california so lots and lots and lots of praise for green lantern green arrow continues despite the fact that some people don't find particular issues you know as good as or better than the next some issues are great some issues are not but they still manage to seemingly communicate to people as they go um again this particular issue of green lantern green arrow was again not very specific in its social relevance and context now it is more relevant in terms of an overarching time period it's It's really no surprise that with all that Green Lantern and Green Arrow has already talked about up to this point that they would touch, at least briefly, on whomever occupied the presidency at this time. In this case, obviously, Nixon and his vice president, Agnew. Um, However, in terms of something specific, I guess... I mean, they they made them look like the characters, so it's not like they were being too subtle, but I don't see any specific reference to one thing over another obviously children and stuff so that kind of leans towards agnew's ideas on education parental involvement stuff like that but outside of that it's just so vague this issue in the last that it's uh, it's kind of hard to point something out now ex- next issue we'll be dealing with more environmental type terms in terms of uh, plastics the use of plastics but after that uh, after that comes Green Lantern, Green Arrow, number 85, where Speedy is caught shooting heroin. Green Lantern, Green Arrow, number 85, and the follow-up, number 86, are some of the most important comics in all of comics history. And, quite frankly, the reason I wanted to start covering Green Lantern, Green Arrow... Despite the fact that it's been a year since I have done a Green Lantern, Green Arrow episode, and clearly I'm out of practice. Again, I apologize for any sort of back and forth or uh, lack of thoroughness in this episode, but I did want to make sure I covered it as best I could. And again, like I said, it was pretty nonspecific in terms of social relevance. I do want to say and make the promise that there will be three episodes, in the very least, of Green Lantern, Green Arrow this year. This episode you're hearing now, the follow-up, which will be covering number 84, Peril and Plastic, and then the next episode, a massive episode. One of the biggest episodes of 2017 for the Lantern cast. I can't tell you how. All I can tell you is that it will be huge. It'll be easily double, if not triple the length of this episode. And it will cover not one, but two issues from Green Lantern and Green Arrow. Green Lantern, Green Arrow number 85, Snowbirds Don't Fly. The storyline that goes from Green Lantern, Green Arrow number 85 to number 86. Both issues covered in one episode and I will not be alone in my coverage of those issues. And boy howdy will I be more than prepared to talk about its social relevance. Because man, those are important issues. Not just in terms of social relevance. But in terms of the comics code, be prepared to have your mind blown. I am so excited for these issues to be covered. And I only wish that I had as equally important issues to cover in the lead up to it. So that's why I'm slightly frustrated this episode and probably a little less so but still frustrated next episode is because they are nowhere close to social importance, comic importance. I mean, it's just, it's night and day comparison. So keep an eye out this year for my coverage of Green Lantern, Green Arrow, number 85 and 86, one of the biggest episodes of the Lantern cast in 2017, if not one of the biggest episodes of the Lantern cast ever. Seriously? Seriously? I am not overstating, and I am not going to under-deliver. It is going to be awesome. All right, guys. I am going to close out the episode, but before I do, I had one piece of feedback. That's right. It's been a long time since I've covered uh, anything on this, uh, on this uh, series. So I wanted to make sure I covered an email I got March 9th of 2016. Holy crap. (laughs) Sorry, guys. It's been a while, and uh, you're regular listeners. You know why. So, from Andy, in reference to Green Lantern number uh, GLGA episode 11. Hi, just a quick mail. I listened to GLGA 11, and I wanted to say well done with another solid episode. I agree that there doesn't seem to be any deep meaning with this one, just a nod to women's lib. What I am enjoying, though, is you continuing to read the letters have these issues in the trade mostly, so I haven't read the letters. They add quite a lot because, if nothing else, O'Neill and Adam seem to have stirred up some really deep feelings among some of the readers. This adds depth to the review by helping us understand how people reacted at the time. I was there at the time, but I wasn't reading GL at that point. Keep up the good work. Cheers, Andy. Thanks, Andy. And that's exactly why I printed off the leather column for this episode, because of what Andy said. I was all set to cover the uh the uh content on this episode minus that letter column and I kind of kicked myself and I was like wait a sec I've got the entire series so I can just kind of fast forward a little bit and grab the letter column and stick it from a future issue into my current coverage and I don't see why I haven't been doing that this entire time so That will be a continuing thing for as long as there are letter columns in the back of the issues. And I hope you guys enjoy that. Now, one final time, I do want to apologize for kind of the lack of enthusiasm, the lack of whatever, (laughs) whatever that X factor is that makes these episodes so exciting. Again, when you're talking about such generalistic things... Uh, last episode for sure was really, really general in terms of women's lib and in um, feminism and stuff like that. Super general in masked in a heavily sci-fi story, and then move into this, which is more on the nose with the the visual portrayal of Grandy and Sybil uh, in their resemblance to Nixon and Agnew, but still slightly subtle. And next, it, it, it there it goes in grades. Last issue was super subtle. This one, a little more specific. Next episode, it will be more specific in terms of what it's pointing to, the dangers of plastic and its impact on the environment. Feel free to read ahead, by the way. That's a really interesting issue, number 84. And then, of course, we get super specific into the drugs with Green Lantern, Green Arrow, 85, and 86. So I really, really hope you guys stick around with me because, at the very least, if you don't listen to this... Um, you got to, got to, got to, got to listen to the coverage later this year of Green Lantern, Green Arrow 85, and 86. Please, 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 please feel free to write me with your thoughts on this series. Even if I don't do a good job delivering from episode to episode based on content like this particular issue with regards to Nixon and Agnew, I'm 29, I'll be 30 in April. I don't know much about Nixon and Agnew. I wasn't there. So if you were growing up, if you were reading these issues, if you remember specifically Agnew's big issue with education, parents, and their cooperation with everything and his power behind the throne kind of mentality with him, relation between him and Nixon, I would love to hear and learn more and then share that in the upcoming episodes. So feel free to contact us. The best way to contact us, go uh, email lanterncast at gmail.com. We also have a voicemail line. I don't believe I've actually played any voicemails on this uh, particular spinoff, 708 Lantern. You can find us online, lanterncast.com, and we have a bunch of different posts over there. Uh, You can also download the show off iTunes and Stitcher. And if you leave us a positive review on either or both, that would be really, really helpful as it helps increase the visibility for our show. Uh, Last but not least, we are on Twitter and Facebook, so feel free to give us a like and follow us there. Alright guys, and again, keep an eye out. This year, the biggest episode of the Lantern Cast in 2017. One of, actually. There's a list of about five or six. Eh, more than that, but only five or six that we'll tell you about slash hint at on an upcoming post on Facebook um so yeah another reason for you to like our facebook page and um maybe one of the biggest episodes of the lantern cast ever i'm not blowing smoke guys (laughs) blowing smoke in relation to a drug issue (laughs) get it funny all right guys we will talk to you later good night